The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. We are going to continue on in our look at the songs of the season. Luke was the master historian. Luke was one who wrote, and it said he wrote these things to be presented, uh, basically at some level, almost to a tribunal. Uh, He wrote as a doctor, meticulous in detail, and he was presenting a case. Luke would have been the first section of that. The book of Acts would have been the second section uh, of that case. And in the first part, in the coming of the Messiah, in the coming of Christ, he not only recorded the historic events, he recorded the songs that burst forth uh, out of those who experienced and came to see Christ as the first ones. And we've seen last week that he recorded the song of Mary, uh, the Magnificat, that beauty of this young girl who said, I'm blessed that I am the Lord's servant, that she didn't understand everything. She had deep questions, yet at the end of the day, she looked through the situation and what she found were the qualities and characteristics of her God. And she said, I believe and put my hope and trust in those things. Therefore, I'm not going to be destroyed. Therefore, I'm not going to be swayed. I'm going to be able to receive whatever it is that the Lord gives me because I know this about him. God is God. And he is incredibly faithful. And he never changes. And that the God who I understand from the past is the God that I can relate to in the present and will be the God who will care for me in the future. And he never shifts. And therefore, my faith never wanes because it's in him. I think about that, this, this child, this young teenage girl, and how she expressed it. Oh, how I wish not only our young people but our adults would be able to manifest their faith and express it in that kind of way. That no matter what comes my way, I'm going to have a hope. I recognize my place in the world, and I am going to be at peace because of what God is doing. So we looked at her song last week, and this week it's moved up a little bit, maybe a few months down the road. Mary and Joseph have now given birth to this child. Mary has given birth to Jesus. And in proper form of a good Jewish couple, they were going from Galilee, from Nazareth, from their home. And they were heading now to Jerusalem, to the temple, to present Jesus at the temple and to give sacrifice for their firstborn, which was according to the law. And so when they were there, they encountered this man, Simeon, who was a holy and righteous and devout man. And what transpired there right in front of them, they just thought they were going for another day. They went to fulfill a religious practice in that they encountered someone who turned it on its head and explained to them and gave meaning to them the practice what they were doing. He said, you don't understand what you're presenting today. This isn't just your firstborn child. It is the firstborn child. This isn't just any little boy born into a Jewish family, into Nazareth, into the line of David. This is the child which is born. And upon him, nations will rise and nations will fall. Uh, Upon him, all of history will be recalculated and rewritten because of this child that you present today. And so what we're going to look at this morning is Simeon's song. A song sung, as it were, by this old man 
who had been waiting so patiently over all of these years to see the fulfillment of all of his greatest hopes, all of his deepest longings. And oh, wouldn't you like to be like Simeon, to have a moment where they were all fully satisfied? When you looked and went, it's true. It's worth it. I have no other longings. I can go and be at peace. Lord, you can take me now. Many of you are wrestling and hoping and desiring to get to that place. And what we're going to see today is Advent's answer to your deepest desires and longings. How can you find satisfaction in this world? And it can only be found in one place, really in one person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's hear the Lord speak to us this morning through his word from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22 and reading down, and I'm going to stop a little early at verse 35. This is the word of the Lord. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, that is Mary and Joseph, brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was a righteous and devout, was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now, now you are letting your servant depart in shalom, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts May be revealed. This is God's word. May He add His blessing to the reading and the hearing of it. Just any other day in the temple courts, Simeon went like he had for so many, many years, maybe even decades. For we don't know when he received the promise that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Messiah coming, the true Messiah. But we have to assume he knew that for a very long time. And so Simeon was there, and if you know the history of Israel, there were other false messiahs at that time. Others had come and risen up, and they'd begun revolts against uh, Rome, promising that the Messiah was going to lead the people away from Rome, and that it would be an earthly kingdom that would be set up, and he would look, and he would know somehow, deep down, intrinsically within him, he would know that's not the true Messiah. And so he waited, day by day by day. 
expectantly waiting, different from sort of the apathetic waiting uh, that we have, but that anticipation uh, of knowing that when that day came, he would not be disappointed. And so he came to the temple that day, and there was this incredibly poor couple who were coming to him. And he knew they were poor because all they had to bring to the temple sacrifice was a pair of doves, a pair of pigeons, the lowest of the denomination that you could offer to the Lord. And so here was this peasant couple coming, and they had with them a child. And he knew why they would have come. They came because this was the firstborn. They were good church people. They were good religious Jews. And they came, and they were presenting their son, Joshua, Yeshua, or Jesus, to him. And the father, Joseph, would have come and would have given his son uh, to Simeon, who was there, and would have said, this is my firstborn son, Yeshua, of the line uh, of David, Jesus himself, who is being presented. And Simeon saw the child. And it says that he picked him up in his hands, and he basically went, wow. (laughs) You can imagine Mary and Joseph. Well, yeah, he is a great kid. Yeah, it's, we're very, yes, we're very proud of him. He's a big strapping youth, just like his daddy. And from that line, Simeon says, you have no idea. And he looked up. And he didn't speak to the parents. He said, Lord, now you have fulfilled your promise to me that I have seen the Lord's anointed. Interesting, that, that language there, the Lord's anointed, the Lord's smeared one is really what it says the lord's messiah which means that he is anointed or smeared with the oil of levi of the priest the high priest oil he said i've seen him and now now i can go in shalom i can go in peace for my life has been absolutely brought to this moment and i am fully satisfied in the child that I behold, because I realize who this child is. He is the Christ. He is who I have been waiting for my whole life. He is who all of Israel and all of humanity has been waiting for. And I have the incredibly distinct privilege and honor of beholding his glory, of seeing him as the light to the Gentiles, of truth revealed, and I'm holding him. And you can just imagine Mary and Joseph going, it's a little different from what we expected. But yet they knew, they knew who their child was. They didn't know that Simeon did. And so all of this was transpiring. And so what we're going to look at is Simeon and how it was. What was it about Simeon? What was it that he knew and he understood that we so desperately want to know and understand? How is it that he was able to live his life and not be distracted by all the other billboards, all the other slogans, all the other things that say, if you run after me, if you put your hope in me, there you'll find deep and profound satisfaction. Uh, If you go and do your job well and you live your life well, then you'll be satisfied with life. He said, no, that's not it. There's got to be something more that transcends this world, something that transcends and gives meaning to all the things that would seem meaningless day by day. And what is it that he said day after day after day kept him coming to the temple with expectation of knowing that God was going to answer and fulfill his promises of peace and fulfillment and of satisfaction? Well, that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to start this way. We're going to start by saying, why don't other things satisfy 
Why is it that everything else that's presented to us in this world, why don't they bring to us the deep satisfaction that we so desperately want and need in this world? Why don't they do that? Why aren't we fully satisfied in the things given to us uh, in this life? And then we're going to flip on the other side of that and say, and answer the question, how is it or why is it that Jesus is the only thing, the only one who can meet those deep desires for us? So that's where uh, we're going to be heading. You see, what's going on is that we're touching on a problem that plagues so many people, sort of a depression, a fog, a pall that is laid upon life, that we get excited about a few things, but then there's the evidential, there's the, the, the letdown. There's the buyer's remorse, if you would. There's the, the Christmas drop-off of you expect and you want all these things and you fav- maybe you've saved up your money and you finally get the car that you want and you drive the car off the lot and you're thinking, this is it, I have reached it, it's the pinnacle. But it just doesn't satisfy quite like you'd hoped it did. Or you've bought the house in the neighborhood, in the zip code that you've always wanted, and you walk into the house and you're there and you go to bed that first night and you put your head on the pillow and though you love your home and you love where you're living, there's just something you go, I kind of was expecting something more. You get the date that you've always wanted, the person, that if you just got a date with that person, if you just got to go to the dance with that person, or you just got to be on this team and you got to start, or if you scored this many points and got the MVP trophy, whatever it is, that you get it, and then when you get it, all of a sudden, it doesn't really satisfy quite as much. I worked with college students a lot. And I would hear from them the expectations. I'd been with youth, and I would hear what the youth would say. And the youth and the students would go, I can't wait. You know what they would say as seniors? What? You know what they couldn't wait for? To get out from underneath my parents' rule. I can't wait to go off to college and to live my life. And then, interestingly enough, I would bump into those same students a couple of years later. And they're worn out. And they're broke. And they're wrestling with the reality that mom and dad were so often right and they hated that reality. And they would come to me and they would say, I thought it'd be different. I thought that if mom and dad weren't around and I could go out and I could drink everything that I wanted to drink and smoke everything that I wanted to smoke and sleep with whatever I wanted to sleep with and do whatever it is I wanted to do and study whatever I wanted to study and drive as fast as I wanted to drive and go anywhere I wanted to go on the weekends without mom and dad knowing where I had gone and not asking me all the silly questions that they normally ask me. I thought then, then everything was going to be awesome. And everything's not all that awesome. Pastor Bill why am I riddled with shame and guilt? Why, why am I not satisfied with what I have? Now, some of them would buy into a lie, and they would do this as I moved into singles ministry. And they would say, ah, the problem that I'm experiencing in life is if I would just get married, if I wasn't alone in this world, if I just had a husband or a wife, then I would be satisfied. Then I would be happy. Those of you who are married, how's that work? I would warn them, be incredibly careful because a wrong marriage can be the most lonely place you've ever found yourself. 
in a committed relationship that you can't leave. And I remember early on in our marriage, when Lisa and I were wrestling through some different things of figuring out how two people uh, come together with selfish, broken hearts and they begin to live together as one flesh under one roof for common goals and each one dying to their own desires, hopes, and wants and putting the desires, hopes, and wants of their beloved in front of them, that that's really not an easy thing. And I called a friend of mine and I said, this marriage thing really is tough. He said, yeah, think of it this way. Marriage is like this. You take a couple of rocks, you put them into a burlap sack, you take a stick and you beat the absolute tar out of that bag. And then you pour out dust. It's two becoming one. I said, I feel like that. That wasn't a biblical metaphor, but it sure was reasonable at that point. I was like, life in the burlap sack. That's what my, uh, you know, uh, the... Memoirs of Bill McCutcheon, Life in the Burlap Sack. And life wasn't really satisfying for so many. Ah, then you've realized the secret to contentment, right? Have a kid. (laughs) If I only had a child and I was able to have children and bring them into this beautiful relationship of marriage that I have, then I'm going to have meaning and success. Then I'm going to have deep and profound satisfaction in the world. What you realize is what you have brought in is this incredibly beautiful blessing and gift from the Lord that wrestles with a selfish heart in desperate need of pointing to a Messiah. And he's being raised by two parents who are in desperate need uh, because of their broken, selfish hearts in need of a Messiah, in need of a Savior. And now you have this now family unit trying to figure it out. And so maybe for some of you, you go, well, if I just succeed in my work and I provide for my family, then I'll be satisfied. If I just get really involved in civic things and I'm a good philanthropist, then I'll be satisfied. And what we realize over and over again, that as you get those accolades and you get those things, that at the end of the day, it's only fleeting and momentary. And it leaves you wanting more. Why? Well, really what's going on is that each of us have a grid. Uh, It's like the apps on your phone or your computer which run in the background. And you don't know that they're running, but they're running in the background and they're deciphering all the information that's going into that computer. And it's telling it to do this or to respond this way or this way. And it's the same thing with each of us. We have a grid of what we believe will satisfy us. And for some of us, it is so deep. It is so profound that we can't even articulate it. But we know that we haven't met it yet. That's really all that we know about it. And and what it means is, and it shows itself, because you can take the same circumstances and place them on two different people, and the people will respond differently. Why? Because they have different grids by which they understand everything. Some of you have experienced incredible loss uh, in your in your world, be it physical loss, health, loved ones, be it business and relationships or your finances, but yet it doesn't devastate you. It it doesn't crush you. It affects you. I mean, we're not robotic. We're not stoic. It affects you, but it doesn't crush you. But for someone else, they're ready to quit everything. They're ready to go jump off a ledge. 
They're ready to just give in and never get out of bed, to pull the sheets up and just hope upon hope that when they pull the sheets off, everything is going to be different. They're devastated. Why? It's the grid that explains it for you. So why is it that everything in this world, or why I put it this way, why is it that nothing in this world fully satisfies you? It's because you're looking in this world, and what's revealed in this passage of Scripture is what we're looking for in here is we're looking for light and we're looking for glory. We're looking for characteristics in something that will prove to us to be truth. That's what light is. It's the picture in the Scriptures of truth. When you speak of God's light, it is His very revealed truth. And when you speak of His glory, it is of His transcendence. It is of something greater than we are. And so what each of us deep down on that grid are looking for is something that is true truth. We want to believe that it's going to be true and it's going to be stable and it's going to be the same today, tomorrow, and every day after that. And we want to put our faith in that and we want to hope that that's it. That's that's it. And we only realize that it's not it is when all of a sudden maybe our political affiliations, that we get the right person in office and we get the right person where we think it is and all of a sudden though nothing's really changing. And we realize, oh, well, that's because that's not true truth. There's got to be something different. Or we put our hope in something in this world, and we believe that it's going to transcend. It's going to be greater and more weighty, glorious than this life. And we put our hope in it, and it fails us. We realize it's just chaff, and it blows away at the coming of a strong wind. And so what each of us are looking for is what Simeon found Simeon found, he said, it is the light and it is the glory. It is the light and it is the glory. So with that, we're going to begin to answer the second question. I've gone off of the scripture a second just to sort of explain why is it that nothing, we were designed to find our satisfaction in nothing else other than God himself. That's why God began in the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any other idols to bow down and worship. You shall not take my name. Interestingly, it doesn't say profanely. It doesn't say don't curse my name. It says, but don't use, excuse me, my name lightly, without glory, without weightiness. And then he says, and honor me one day out of seven. Come and rest shalom in my presence. What he's saying is this, you were designed to find your ultimate satisfaction in nothing else other than me. And the way that you're going to find that is you're not going to go and search for it in anything else. There's going to be no other gods before you. There's going to be nothing else except Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of creation. That's going to be the God that I pursue. And I'm not going to make any other gods, no other idols. Nothing else is going to be my pseudo-savior. No one else is going to be my pseudo-Christ. But only God alone is going to do that. And I will not in my life take anything that he gives me lightly. And I'm going to find my rest in my Sabbath, my shalom in him. So now we turn and we say, how is it? that Jesus is the only place to find that. But what's explained to us here is that Jesus is told, we're told that Jesus is the light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon is basically saying this, everything that I've ever wanted is found in this child that is presented to me today, everything. 
There's nothing else. I don't need anything else. I never have, and I'm fully now satisfied. Before, he was fully satisfied in the promise that it would come, and now he's holding it, and when he holds this child and he realizes that this is the Christ, he's like, God, I'm good. That's basically what he said. God, I'm good. And if I die today, I die a happy man, fully and completely satisfied in this life. Can you say that? Honestly, can you say that at this moment of your life? A little bit heavy sermon, I know, and it's a little warm in here. I'm about to keel over with the heat. So, you know, if you notice, we're not, I'm not blue, red, or yellow anymore. We took off all the little colors on the heat, so they're a little warm. But in the midst of this hot moment and the weighty moment, I want to ask you this. Can you say, that if you closed your eyes today, you could do so saying, I am absolutely and completely satisfied. For most of you, you can't. Oh, I just want to see the grandchild born. Oh, I, I just want to accomplish one more thing. Oh, I just want to, I just want to. Then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be happy. Then I can go away. I, I'm not ready for heaven yet. Well, what you may be saying is this, I I want to enjoy this life, and that's fine. But Simeon would have said, if you know what you've received in Christ, everything else can be taken from you, and you're going to be just fine. Is that the thoughts that you have at night when you go to bed? Think about it, last night. Some of you from that wonderful state of Ohio, it was a crushing evening. For some of you from the wonderful state of Alabama, it was an uplifting evening. Some of you from the state of North Carolina, like me, it doesn't matter at all. Football is just a precursor to basketball. And so you're up and you're down and you're wondering and you're putting your hopes and your dreams on 18-year-old boys and coaches who get paid and they're like, what in the world? And, but can you go to bed? Did you go to bed last night? Being able to pray with deep sincerity, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then close your eyes and sleep. The beauty of the psalmist says the Lord gives rest to his beloved. How does he do that? Because he says, I've revealed myself to you as the ultimate truth that never changes. I am the truth with a capital T that explains everything else. And I am glory itself. I am that which transcends everything else. I am more weighty than anything else. And if you put your hopes and your dreams in me, I promise I'll never, ever, ever disappoint you. So here's a question for you. If you didn't go to bed last night deeply satisfied, that if you never woke up in this life, everything would be fine. If when things happen in your world, 
if when other things are taken away, if when you get cut from the team, uh, if you uh, don't get the date, if you don't get the grades or get into the school, if your team loses, if your business bankrupts, if your loved one doesn't love you in the way that you want or want and desire them to love you, uh, if whatever it is that's happening, if your body is riddled with cancer, if your loved one who you were with for so many years has now gone to be with the Lord and you're alone, if all of that leads you to a place of absolute despair and despondency, what God is giving you is an absolute gift. Because what he's doing is he's taking his microscope and looking down and peering down into your soul and he's giving you an opportunity to say there's something in there that you're hoping for more than you're hoping for me. Do you realize that all of those moments, all of those things are chances for us to go, wow, maybe I have been putting my hope in things that I shouldn't be putting my hope in and I should put my hope only in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is true truth and his glory and weightiness beyond everything else and I can find my satisfaction to him. So therefore, if I get whatever it is that I get, I can enjoy it lightly. I don't have to demand anything more from it than it just being a nice accolade, just being a raise, just being a date, just being whatever it is. It's just that. It's not your life. And so whatever it is that's leading you to those places of deep dissatisfaction, that is God's absolute love towards you to say what he's trying to do is root out every other God, to root out every other little truth, to root out every other little glory, and to displace it with him. That's what Simeon knew. That's what Simeon understood was that nothing else. I wonder what Simeon's life was like. I wonder if he came every day and the other guys at the temple, the fellows around that he would talk with were like, Simeon, you still waiting today? Still with us, huh? The glory hadn't come yet, has it? Simeon, you're a foolish old man. No, I know what my God's promised me. And I know that it is so good that I'm willing to take your abuse. I know that it is so good that I'm willing to stay the course. I'm willing to live my life according to these principles, according to these truths and these facts. And I'm willing to do it because I know that the moment that I receive it, everything will be made good. It will be the deepest, most profound. You ever experienced one of those moments? It just feels so good. That you experience some satisfaction, you just go, oh. And it can be at that moment, as a parent, when you hold that child. I remember holding each one of my boys and of looking and going, oh. God says, I'm going to trump that if you let me. I'm going to trump that because what I offer you will take you into eternity and it will give you deep and profound satisfaction all the way to the very end. Because it's true truth and it's glory and weightiness beyond anything else. Now we have to wrap up uh, today and I'll wrap up with this. But it's not a true truth and it's not a weightiness and a glory. It's not a gift that doesn't come with a price. And here's the price. And some of you who are, are here and you're not believers, you're going, I knew it. There was a hook. And some of you who've been in the church are like, there's always a hook. Well, there is a hook. And here's the hook. Here's what Simeon says Uh, to Mary. He says, now Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. He's basically saying this, you cannot encounter Jesus Christ. You cannot deal with him and not be changed. 
You cannot marginalize him. He will not allow you to marginalize him in your life. You are going to have to deal with him. And the only way to deal with him is to either make him your glory and make him your truth or reject him outright. But you don't get to play with him. And for most of us, when we see this great light in front of us, we want to dim it down just a little bit. Some of you have been living your life that entire way within the church. You're wanting to have just enough Jesus to get you to heaven and just enough Jesus to get you through the bad times. But you don't want all of him because you know if you get all of him, he is for the rising and falling of nations. He comes in and he messes with you. Do you realize that this gospel that we're talking about is the most confrontational thing? And so if you're here today, I want to make sure you understand that. You are not tiptoeing around with some cuddly little person, some little bitty child. But this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, you're going to have to reckon with me. And that's a good thing, by the way, folks. For if the Lord has you here today, what he is saying to you is this, I want to deal with you. I want to break through, and I want to show myself to you today. And here's how you get it. And a sword, Mary, will pierce through your own soul so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What he's saying in this, it's not really a picture of Mary being penetrated. And some go, oh, see, that's the sword uh, that Christ experienced on the cross. And when his heart was pierced by that sword, by that uh, spear, that Mary's heart was also pierced. That's a stretch. What he's really saying is this. If you want him to be your truth, if you want him to be your glory, if you want him to take up center place in this, you have to die. You have to die. All of your dreams, hopes, and desires have to be subordinated to his. You yourself have to die. You have to allow him to take you apart. You have to allow him to come into your life and to dissect it and to break it down to its very core, to root out those things which are at the very core, which are leading you away to death, which are leading you away to false saviors, leading you away to false gods. He's got to come in. He's got to tear, break all that down, a sword piercing into your very soul, and rip it apart. In this promise that he will reconstitute it into the glorious life you always hoped that you could have, that you never dared dream or imagine it was possible for you. This God of the universe says, let me come in and slay you. Let me come in and kill you. Let me come in and and devastate you and unwrap you. And then let me put you back together in a way that you never dreamed was possible. Folks, some of you are so terrified of the sword. Some of you are so terrified of what the king of kings may do if he gets inside your life that you just want to keep him at bay. Try to keep a lion at bay. You can't. Jesus says, I want to come in and I want to devour. And I want all of you. And I want to take you and I want to make you just have this transcendent beauty and glory within you and a hope that allows you. Maybe today, maybe tonight for the very first time, to go to sleep and say, whatever comes, I receive. Because I have my shalom. I have my peace. And I'm okay. I'm okay. So the question for you is this. Are you okay with the Savior that you have? Or do you want the Savior, the truth, the light, the glory? Let's pray.